You've successfully found the Beaver Tales podcast. You deserve a snack. While you're getting that, enjoy this episode with your host, Josh Warden. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh Warden. Thanks for finding the podcast where you can hear former Oregon State athletes remember their times at OSU and talk about how they've changed as people and the experiences they've had since leaving Corvallis. Today, I'm talking with Caden Grenier, a national champion with the Beaver baseball team just a couple years ago in 2018, and he's had a fun stretch of pro baseball ever since then. Before talking about Caden's bio and getting to that conversation, I want to first inform you about today's nonprofit from a fellow Oregon State baseball player from a few years before Caden, Matt Boyd, who was drafted by the Blue Rays in 2013 and has pitched since in the MLB, now with the Detroit Tigers, now uh, operates and organizes a charity based in Uganda. He's still playing MLB baseball, but Matt and his wife Ashley help lead Kingdom Home which helps prevent sex slavery in Uganda through prevention by providing a home, a safe education, and empowerment for kids in Uganda. And Matt and Ashley Boyd uh, have a website at kingdomhome.org. You can look at what they're doing and sponsor a child and donate to the projects they're doing over there in Africa. So again, that's kingdomhome.org for an organization from one former Beaver baseball player and a cool thing he's doing. And another fun conversation with a Beaver baseball player today on the Beaver Tales podcast. So thanks for checking out Kingdom Home. As you also hear from Caden Grenier, who was a fantastic high school baseball player at Bishop Gorman High in Summerlin, Nevada. He came to Oregon State and basically started for three years and became one of the best Oregon State shortstops of all time. In fact, he won the Brooks Wallace Award in 2018, given to the best shortstop in college baseball. He was all Pac-12 first team two years in a row, his final two seasons at Oregon State before being drafted in the first round of the 2018 MLB draft by the Baltimore Orioles. Of course, if there's one moment you remember of Caden Grenier, it's probably his at-bat in the ninth inning, game two of the College World Series. First, his pop-up into shallow right field and foul territory that was not caught by a trio of Arkansas players. And a couple of pitches later, he laced a ground ball through the infield that tied the ball game and helped Oregon State stay alive and eventually win the national championship in 2018. Yes, I do ask about that play. In fact, we spend a lot of time on the College World Series going through all the memories of that uh, stretch in Omaha. But we start with this pro career and how things have gone the last 22 months, roughly, you know, June of 2018. So here is the shortstop from Henderson, Nevada, batting second, number two, Hayden Grenier. Caden Grenier joins me on the Beaver Tales podcast from Nevada. Caden, it's good to see you. How you been doing and how you been spending the quarantine? Oh, man, uh, I'm doing all right. You know, I'm hanging in there. I uh, don't have too much to do. You know, it's luckily it's nice out. I mean, it's, it's really hot out, but so I've been able to use the pool and stuff. But uh, just trying to get out as much as I can and just do some stuff outside and, uh, and keep hitting and all that. And, but everything's good, man. You look a fair amount different, let alone however you've changed as a person and athletically in your pro career, which I'll ask about next, but you've gotten some ink, which must have been more than in the last month, because I don't think you could have gotten any tattoos in the last month, but you seem to have changed, if nothing else, your physical appearance since you were an Oregon State player. 
Oh yeah, no, the uh, the hairstyle is still the same. You can't tell right now. Obviously, I'm gonna get a haircut, but it's still the long like mullet mohawk thing I had going on at Oregon State. I just love it. And then uh, yeah, over the last two years or so, I've really gotten a lot of tattoos, and uh, I got my whole right forearm done. I got my whole left arm done. You know, so a lot of people that I know, like my teammates at Oregon State, they all see it on Instagram and stuff. But I know for a lot of the fans and all that that haven't seen me in two, three years or whatever, they, you know, nobody would, would know that I have all these. Is there one in particular that's meaningful to you or there a story behind that's uh, pretty poignant? Uh, the first one I got, the one that everybody in Corvallis uh, would have seen, I had it my, my junior year, I think my sophomore year too, maybe, I can't remember, but is uh, the cross on my left forearm for my grandfather, uh, kind of like a uh, in memoriam type of thing where uh, you know my grandfather passed away he had cancer uh, several several years ago and so I got my first tattoo to honor him and uh, and that's the one that I, that everybody would have would have seen before I left school. So now that you've spent about a year and a half almost two years uh, since you left Oregon State and, and started playing professional ball in the Baltimore Orioles organization what are some highlights or low lights the, the difficult things the great things the fun moments what has professional baseball been like since 2018? I mean it's uh it's definitely a lot of work man you know it's it's nice to have five months of off season just straight you know you don't get that when you're in college or anything and but, you know, when you're in those what, six and a half months of just straight baseball, it's every single day, bus rides and, you know, hot weather, especially on the East Coast where all of my teams that I play are, and, you know, it's, it really is a grind, but I've, I've really had some really good teammates in my first two years of pro ball that have made it so much better, so much more fun. Uh, you know, I've, I've made some great friends that I talk to on the basically daily basis and uh, play video games with and stuff but the the whole team aspect I feel like I've gotten a really good uh, start off with you know the teammates that I've had I mean I just it's been a lot of fun uh, obviously it's a lot of work it's it's not fun at times and you just want to go home towards the end of the season but uh, you know I got great great teammate great coaches that have been a lot of fun to be around. Since you had already gotten drafted shortly before the Oregon State season ended in 2018, you already knew what franchise you'd be playing for, and it was fairly quick after the College World Series ended in 2018, you shipped off to Maryland with an affiliate of the Orioles. How, how many days elapsed between Game 3 of the College World Series and the peak of collegiate success to Day 1 of Class A ball in Maryland? Uh, I want to say it was about five <laughs> so we won the college road series that night we fly out the next morning uh we have all that day of parades plans uh the following day i had to pack my whole house up because uh the day after that so two days after the world series i was going straight from portland out to baltimore i was there for two days and then drove straight to salisbury maryland which is uh on the east coast of maryland and basically just met the team there and started that night. I didn't play that night, but I was there with the team that night. It was, it was like five, five and a half days after the third game that I was already back on a field and in a dugout with them. So did you get a chance to savor the College World Series or did it feel like it almost dissipated or maybe it stuck with you? I mean, how, how was that experience of being on the opposite side of the country when you had spent so much time with Oregon State in another area of America? Uh, I mean, it was it was fun. You know, I think 
we had such a special group that we all really enjoyed it together for the short amount of time that we all had together until we all went our different ways after that game. But it, it definitely didn't hit me until at least a few days later that we actually had won the College World Series. We were the national champions. And I think I was on the field and I was playing. And I was like, well, this is kind of boring. Like, you know, I just came from the College World Series in Omaha and you're just playing a normal game and, you know, in just a regular season of a low A ball. But it, it hit me a couple of days later. It's like, oh, wow, like that was super cool. I can't believe it. And it helped when I got there. Everybody knew where I was coming from. I was meeting a team that mostly been playing together all year. And so they were quick to ask, dude, how was that? That was so sick. We were watching it, blah, blah, blah. So I, I definitely got to enjoy it because I had people around me that wouldn't quit asking me about it and fans that wanted my autograph that would ask me about it. And, uh, and so I did get the chance to, to definitely uh, feel how great it was to be a national champion. And I, I do wish I would have been able to share it a little bit more with, you know, my teammates that were back in Oregon, but, uh, you know, I still got a pretty good experience out of it. So you're moving around in the Orioles organization. Adley got drafted also by the Orioles this, the year after you did. It looks like you had both played for the Delmarva Shorebirds, but it looked like you didn't quite overlap by about a month. What did you miss? Barely? Yeah, no, I, uh, I got, he was in Aberdeen in the short season team uh, when I was still in Delmarva. I got moved up to Frederick and Haye, and then I want to say it was like, Two or three weeks after that, Adley was up there uh, for the end of the season. So we didn't get to cross over last year. But, you know, if we get to play this year or next year, for sure, we'll be on the same team at some point. Yeah, hopefully you do get to cross paths again and um, be able to play on the same team with the same uniform would be pretty, pretty awesome to see. Let me kind of finish the first part of this conversation about your pro career and what you've done since Oregon State, and then we'll come back to some some memories of 2018 and and really just spend a lot of time reminiscing about that segment. But I try to get a look at how the players are different than when they competed for Oregon State, whether they played in the 80s, the 90s, or in your case, just a couple of years ago. So maybe you aren't a completely different person than two years ago. That's fine. It's only two years removed. But in the year and a half, two years of pro baseball that you have played and the relationships you've developed, the friends that you've stayed in touch with from Oregon State, how have you matured as a person since you finished playing baseball at Oregon State and what version of Caden Grenier are you becoming over the next few years? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, the biggest change I think that's come about is I've definitely had to be more self-accountable since pro ball has started. You know, in college, you have set up practice times, you have set up weightlifting times. And then when you get in the off season for pro ball, you don't have any of that. So the one thing that I've really gotten a good grip on is, is making myself a good schedule during the off season of when I need to hit, when I need to work for gal, stuff like that. Um, and so I think that's definitely helped me mature. I've, I've really had to make my own schedules on a daily basis with, you know, along with being able to do the fun stuff that I want to do while resting from the season, you know, but other than that, it's, I don't think I've changed way, uh, too much. You know, the game's still the same. Uh, so baseball wise, yeah, I'm getting a little bit better, you know, physically in baseball, but outside of it, it's, I'm pretty much doing a lot of the same stuff that I was doing in college. You know, I'm still taking classes through Oregon State. You know, I'm just doing all the same stuff, but just in a different place and uh, during different time periods. That's good to hear. And I'm sure as you continue in your career, that'll, that maturity process will continue going. And hopefully that, that playing career will last a long time. 
let's go to Oregon State and and talk about your time there. You you had three guys picked in the first round that same year, plus the first overall pick the next season, all on the same college team. That's an absurd level of talent on one team, and that's and you weren't all. I mean, the, the whole team was top to bottom, very talented. How did one squad manage to not only convince all of you to commit to one program? but then turn down the pros coming out of high school and instead play collegiate ball for three years. How did that happen? You know, I first is obviously great recruiting on, you know, Coach Casey and Coach Yeski and Coach Bailey. They obviously did a fantastic job of getting our class together like they, they did every year. You know, every year they had a great group of guys that really got along and played their, their butts off for the coaches. But how all of us got there at the same time, I don't know. I can only speak for myself that it just, you know, the draft, I had a great opportunity and I, I had set my mind to a certain situation and that situation didn't come up. And so, you know, I ended up going to Oregon State, which was my first plan anyway. It's, uh, you know, in high school, my, my plan was not to get drafted. It was, it was to get a college scholarship and, and that was my plan A. And, and so when everything kind of fell through a little bit during draft day, I was perfectly happy going to Oregon State. I was excited for the opportunity. And then, and then when everybody else still showed up, over the course of our sophomore year, we were like, wow, like this is a really special team. And then it just showed in our junior year, you know, when we win the College World Series. But before that, we have three guys go in the first round. Guys like Luke and Drew Rasmussen, who should have been right there with us. That would make five first-round picks in my mind. And then you have, you know, guys like Quan and Gretler and, and other guys that got drafted a little bit lower, but were just as important as the first rounders on that team and, um, and are doing great things in pro ball as well. And, uh, you know, it, it was just incredible, man. I, I've said it to a, a thousand different people uh, throughout pro ball that I, that team was the most unbelievable team I've ever been on. Just one through nine, actually like one through 15. And then backups on defense you know we could throw anybody in and start and it was like we had starters in and uh we just had a really really special group of guys and and the coaches did a fantastic job bringing us all together what was your recruitment story from the first time you met pat casey if he ever came out to nevada or if you realized how big time of a coach he was and the conversations if you can go back to to that recruitment process what was your story meeting pat casey and the rest of the staff well, so I had my contact all the way until I was able to go up to Oregon was with Coach Yeski. And so, you know, I would have to call him and we would chat. So that was my first like line of communication. And I, I maybe talked to Coach Casey one time, honestly, before I had met him at Oregon State. And then once I was able to go up there and meet him and my mom went up there with me, we met him. And that's kind of, that was the trip that I had been to two other places already on unofficial visits. And I was like, hey. I left Oregon State going, I'd much rather go there. Coach Casey was just, he had all the coaches ready to meet me and my mom. And uh, it was just an awesome experience for all of us. And then uh, obviously I really liked Coach Casey. I really liked Coach Jessica. I had a great relationship with all the coaches. Uh, and so when I made that decision, it was, it was a no brainer for me. You know, I didn't want to go anywhere else. I didn't, I had plenty of other schools that wanted me to go there, but I, I just, in my heart, I was like, I don't want to go to any of those. I want to go here. And I give a lot of that credit to Coach Casey and Coach Yeski, who really did a great job making me and my family feel like uh, we were wanted there and we were going to be welcomed with open arms there. And we, we sure were. 
when you came out of Bishop Gorman High School, your hometown's listed as Henderson, Bishop Gorman, and Las Vegas, Summerlin, however you want to phrase it, but, you know, in Nevada, what were your expectations of what Oregon State would achieve while you were there? I mean, I I fully knew that the team was going to be good. You know, I was I wouldn't have gone there if I didn't think we were going to have great teams every year. You know, and and so I was expecting us to to make the playoffs every year and host regionals, host super regionals, and go to the college world series and whatnot. And obviously, in two of those years, we did all those things. And you know, but I think that was everyone's expectations. And I remember telling Coach Yeski from the very get go, I was like, "Hey, we're going to win two college world series." And he reminded me that I had to stay an extra year because I only got him one, but I didn't. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was that was the kind of type of confidence that I had in, in the players up there and, and what I was expecting to experience in my first year. And, and even though the first year didn't go, I still got to experience all of what I was expecting the second two years. Um, you know, in, in terms of me, I didn't know personally if I was going to play my freshman year. I was going in there knowing that I was going to get a shot to play. Uh, but I, I wasn't too sure how, you know, college teams worked and, uh, and if I was going to be able to beat out somebody as a freshman. And, and so going in, it was a little bit nerve wracking, but I just expected myself to get better and, and ended up getting to start most of the games my freshman year. So you make a pretty big impact, like you said, even pretty early in your career and even more so as time went along. One funny note with, with your name in particular, how long did you let people pronounce your last name, Grenier? Oh, I've been, it's, it doesn't matter to me. And that's what I've told everyone is like, people have said it in high school. People say it when I was in middle school at club ball games and stuff, like it doesn't matter to me. And I told my mom like a long time ago, I don't care what they say. As long as I'm in the lineup and they're calling my name, it does not matter because I'll tell you right now, they give announcers the pronunciation things in the minor leagues and they still mess them up all the time. So I'm still getting 18 different last names. It doesn't matter. So I'm not going to sit there and worry about, you know, how they say my last name as long as they're saying it. And so I just, I never cared, man. And everyone kind of just had the same thing. It was Grenier, 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 whatever, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, it never bothered me. It didn't bother my parents. And, uh, and then finally it came out one day and everyone got mad at me. They're like, how can you even tell us? Like, Cause I don't care. Like, as long as you're saying it, I'm happy, you know? And, um, but yeah, it was until like my junior year that, that, it, that was being pronounced that way. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty funny, the, the amount of reporters and stuff that asked me that question like the week after. Like, dude, why didn't you tell us? Man? It's funny to go back and listen to earlier broadcasts and hear Grenier, but even after, like in the College World Series, I was watching game two last night and they mostly said Grenier, but at least once they slipped up and said Grenier. And like you said, you're humble enough to say, look, I, I don't mind too much. So I, I respect yeah. that. Yeah, I, I didn't mind at all, man. It's, it's just my last name, you know? It's not like... <laughs> anything that important you know it's still spelled yeah. the same like so whatever yeah so moving on kind of through your career to to your senior season college ball and pro ball have an interesting confluence because the draft happens during the season or at least for the teams that are still alive so you got drafted i think it was june 4th of 2018 that right. was the day after you eliminated LSU, which was its own whole storyline and a pretty awesome piece itself. So a pretty critical Sunday and Monday there. You still had the Minnesota Super Regional yet to come. The College World Series was still coming up. Can you put into context 
June 4th and June 5th, where there's still several games to play. There's a whole section of the season you haven't played yet. You've already gotten drafted and your professional career has, in a sense, started, although not yet started. Can you put that all into context? I mean, it was it was super easy. You know, we had the draft day and luckily we were able to, to get through the regionals without needing that second day of games so that we were able to just sit around and watch the draft as a team instead of having to be playing that day. And so that was really nice. We got to just sit around and not worry about playing and getting drafted at the same time and all that. But the next day we had practice. You know, we knew we were facing Minnesota in the Super Regional that weekend. And we had practice that next day. And the fun part about that practice, though, was, you know, a couple of guys were getting drafted during our practice, which was fun because the coaches would get text messages and stuff. And they would be like, hey, guys, you know, Quan just got drafted by the Indians or whatever. Like, yeah, we'd all go nuts and stuff. And it was a really fun practice. But the cool thing about that team was even though we had all just gotten drafted, we knew we had our, our careers starting right after that season everybody still had one thing on their mind and it was beating Minnesota and it was getting back to the college world series because everybody on that team minus the freshmen didn't like the taste in our mouth. Um, and it was, it was awesome, man. It was, it was so nice to be able to go out there and, and just do what we normally did without the distractions of, Oh, I just got drafted type of stuff. Let me take you to, to game two. Let's get right to college world series all the way to the top of the fifth inning. Zach Taylor gets aboard. Preston Jones lays down a bunt and gets a single out of it. Madrigal walks. So now it's bases loaded and you step up to the plate. What happened next? Well, they, uh, they put in like a sidearm submarine guy. And, uh, and so I decided that I was going to lay down a bunt. That was going to be my best option. You know, and for whatever reason, I, I felt like I didn't have the advantage where I thought I was going to hit into a double play. And so I figured, you know what, I decided to go for it and, and laid down a drag button and ended up being perfect and was able to beat it out. And it, uh, it worked a lot better than I thought it was going to. So it was not a called bunt. That was your own decision. No, I, yeah, I, I think they all probably thought I was crazy for it too, but it worked, but no, it was totally on me. That was a great moment. Nick had that great walk there and, and got aboard, set you up. He did end with interesting numbers in the College World Series. I mean, he went over 13 in that series. Now, you still won, so we can look back at that and say, you know, he's much happier winning than whatever batting statistics he would have gotten. But I'm curious what you saw of Nick in the, in the locker room, what he was talking about behind the scenes, or just your uh, evaluation of that, the play. What do you think about when you think of Nick Madrigal in the 2018 College World Series? He never changed. It was the same guy. You know, it didn't matter if he went four for four or 0 for four the night before. He could have been 0 for 10, and it still, it never bothered him. You know, he still knew that he had to go out and do his job as one of the leaders of the team and play defense, and, and that, you know, no matter what happened, we all believed him and we all trusted in him. And, uh, and so even behind the scenes, nothing changed. You know, he, he didn't have a great College World Series, but, well, yeah, looking back at it, you're like, oh, who cares? But even if we would have lost all of you, still be like, dude, it's still Nick Madrigal. He's the best college hitter there is. And, you know, there's a reason the guy's already in AAA and, and Pro Bowl. And, and uh, there's no way I would have ever looked back and gone, hey, Nick going 0 for 13 is the reason we lost. Like, it's not even close, you know. And, and so uh, I've had a lot of people mention that. They're like, well, Nick didn't have a very good college World series. And I'm like, who cares? You see his other stats from the whole year? Like, come on now. 
Um, let's go back to game two after that bunt that we were talking about in the fifth inning, you take the lead, they come right back and I think get two in the bottom of the fifth. So they have the lead for the rest of the game up to the ninth inning. So you spend about three and a half innings trailing in game two in an elimination game. How much worry was there for you in particular? I would say obviously in the back of my mind, there was a little bit, you know, obviously it just seemed like it didn't matter what we did. They were able to come back and put more runs up on the board, even though we were able to come back and kept clawing our way back in the game. It just seemed like we never were able to get over that hump. Um, obviously right on the heels of the first night, which we couldn't get anything going, you know, and so there was a little bit of worry in my mind, but you would have never known that if you were in the dugout, you know, this was a team that we never worried about anything until, you know, it was over. You know, we had all the confidence in the world in each other that we were going to somehow find a way to pull it out. So, yeah, I might have had a little bit of worry. And I'm sure most of the guys were like, are we actually going to lose right here? Like, but you would have never known if you would have just been in the dugout surveying the guys. So let's go to the ninth inning. You need a run to stay alive. Zach Taylor starts off with a walk. Zach Clayton pinch run. He goes to second on Andy Armstrong's bunt. Then Nick splays an inside fastball to first base. He gets out, but Zach Clayton's at third. So now there's two outs, tying run 90 feet away from keeping the season alive, or you're done and you go home, no national championship. Who would you have picked from Oregon State to be at the plate in that situation? You could have chosen anybody for me. It wouldn't have mattered. You could have thrown Nick. You could have thrown Trevor. You could have thrown Andy. You could have thrown Zaleski. It didn't matter. Like whoever we had, I would have been perfectly fine with in that situation. And that's just the kind of trust I think we all had in each other on that team, which was incredible. Yeah, that's a good answer. And as it stood, though, it, it was you. And there was yeah. no choice to be made. You were there at the plate. You step up with a guy on third. And where was your confidence level at in that moment? Honestly, I, I don't even I don't even remember what I what my confidence level was because the only thing I was thinking was I just needed to get a hit. You know, and, and I felt like I had a really good plan against their guy, too, because I had seen enough of his pitches that day that I stepped in there. And I guess I, I did have a good amount of confidence because I was like, I know exactly what he's going to try to do. And, you know, I, I didn't I felt like he wasn't going to be able to get me out. So I do take that back. I think I probably had a good amount of confidence, at least up until the foul ball, which I'm sure you're going to touch on. No, actually, I don't remember that moment at all. Oh, really? That's a first. You just had a single through the left side. Was there a the, the, oh, the foul ball straight back that just went into the screen? Is that what yeah, you Yeah, that one. <laughs> uh, here's how I was going to phrase it. I was going to name – I'm going to name three guys for you. Carson Shaddy, Jared Gates, Eric Cole. <laughs> who, who are those three guys? Uh, they're just – they're great Arkansas players. They play on the right side of the field and uh, – you know, they, they were tasked with a very tough foul ball. And, and uh, lucky enough for me, they didn't catch it. Yeah. We can, we can make fun of them all we want. But to be honest, they are great players. I mean, they, oh, they would absolutely. not be. That's not, I, and then, like, I've been telling a lot of people, that everybody tells me, I go, I go, I get it that that ball should have been caught. And, you know, that's great and all. But from my vantage point, that ball came back pretty hard and it was pretty well placed in just that triangle that nobody wants to get caught in and so yeah should it have been caught absolutely but in their defense it's it wasn't a routine play in my mind just because I got to see how far that ball came back into the field of play and then it was a pretty good distance out there but either way it didn't get caught so I'm happy about it 
the ball lands foul. And so the season isn't done, not just mentally, but, but physically, how is your body feeling right there? You step out of the plate and you have a full, I counted it 59 seconds until they threw another pitch. How is your body feeling for that minute? Uh, not great. It was, it was actually like terrible, you know, and it was one of those where I've told so many people when I did step back in the box, I, I've never had a moment where my legs have legit been like shaking while I'm standing in the box awaiting a pitch. And that was that moment where I'm sitting in the box and I kid you not, my legs were shaking before he went into his windup because of what just all happened. And just the roller coaster of, oh my God, we just lost to, holy crap, I got another chance. And now I'm right back in the box. And that minute felt like 10 seconds, you know, and it's just felt like nothing went on between that foul ball dropping and me getting right back in the box. And um, so I wasn't feeling good uh, physically. Um, mentally, I was doing all right, though. I was like, hey, like, I'm back. Like, I get no chance. You know, just let's do it this time. He's not going to strike you out. Just battle as much as you can. And But my legs were not saying the same thing. They were like, hey, you're screwed, man. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right. Your single was not the next pitch. The very next pitch was a ball up high, didn't even get close to the strike zone. Then you fouled another one off, which was straight back, no chance to be caught. Did it help that you got a piece of a ball and saw a ball up high? So that did that help you kind of recollect yourself a little bit before the next pitch, which I'll ask about next? Yeah, it probably, I think it did. I think once I got those, those couple pitches in between, it just became a normal at bat again. You know, it didn't go straight from that foul ball to me getting the hit. You know, it was that foul ball happens and then a couple pitches go by and it seems like the level of intensity kind of dropped a little bit because it felt like it was just a normal at bat at that point. There was nothing crazy going on in between those two pitches. And so I think, yeah, I think that probably did help a little bit, allow me to kind of refocus and, and regain just a little bit of, you know, uh, just sanity, I guess. So then how were you feeling after the moment the ball came off your bat and you see it go through and you've got 90 feet to run to go to first base? What's your feeling as you're heading to first and you're realizing, man, this thing isn't over yet and I got that base hit I needed? Yeah, no, I uh... – as soon as I hit it, I knew exactly where it was going. And as soon as it came off my bat, I knew that he's not getting it. Like, it's a hit. We're tied. Like, we're in it. I remember getting a couple steps out of the box and just throwing a huge fist pump while I'm running down to first, just giving a huge high five to Ortiz, who's our first base coach, and just looking at the dugout and everyone's screaming and yelling and the fact that the crowd's going wild, you know, because our fans were on that first base side and and just knowing, like, I, I came through like I did it you know and, and it just in that moment I just everything felt so good but it also felt like I drowned out a lot of that stuff I was only focused on how my emotions were at the time of just being so amped up that I just got that hit and just me and the first base coach and my teammates it felt like they were the only people on the field or in the stadium but it was it was just the most awesome feeling of like relief for myself and I'm sure for a lot of the guys in the dugout just to have gotten it done with you know literally last strike backs against the wall um you know I, I just remember getting that hit and just knowing as soon as it came off the bat that the game was tied and you weren't done that inning you're standing on first base as Trevor 
steps into the into the box and hits a kind of a low it was not a high arcing bomb fairly line drive hit how far to the left or the right of where you were standing on the first base path did it go over your head uh it went literally like right above me like so after I got my secondary he hit that ball straight above me and and off the bat, I, I didn't think it was a home run. I think a lot of people probably didn't, unless maybe he did. So I get my secondary, I get my read, and then he hits it straight over me. And the first thing I'm thinking is, that's getting down in the corner. I got to score. Like, I'm thinking he just hit a double. I got to score. It's going to play at the plate. So I put my head down and just start busting my tail the second, trying to get as quick as I can to home plate. And I touch second. I'm rounding second. I look up, and Coach Jenkins is jumping up in the air his hands and fists and just cheering and stuff. And, and I, I take a look back and the, the field umpires signaling home run. So I'm, at this point, I'm losing my mind. I'm going across third base and just freaking out because now we just went from here to here. And it's like an intensity. And it was just the craziest thing. I, I remember it for the rest of my life and looking up after hitting second base, picking up Coach Jenkins and him being midair jumping celebrating because trevor just hit that ball out the whole bottom of the ninth with its own saga but a great double play where you're backing up nick as he makes the turn and heads to first the ball game is over and the series is tied one game apiece i'm assuming it was after the series or maybe even that night after game two where you saw screenshots of a certain espn post where they put the graphic arkansas wins and all that what what, what was your reaction when you saw that uh, I think I, I just laughed. I Somebody sent it to me on, on text message, and obviously the whole team had seen it. You know, guys had screenshots of it that people had sent to them. And, and I just remember just laughing about it and be like, well, somebody's getting fired tonight. And we all had a pretty good laugh about it, man. Nobody nobody was butthurt about it. We just kind of laughed. We were like, well, they were wrong, and, you know, we just pulled it out. So we were really eager to make them post a different graphic the next day. So they had posted that, yeah, by accident there in the top of the ninth win. To be fair to ESPN, it seemed like the Arkansas was going to win, but yeah. definitely premature. And uh, you knew that things weren't over and they weren't. So you go into game three. How did you spend Wednesday night? You didn't have any days off. It was a Wednesday to a Thursday, game two and game three. How did you spend Wednesday night and then Thursday morning? Oh, man, uh, to be honest, I don't I... – I would have probably went out to eat with my parents Wednesday night. We would have tried to find somewhere to go get a bite to eat. Because uh, I want to say, no, it was it would have been just my dad, I think. Uh, I think my dad was the only one that was able to stay because it got pushed back. Um, so I remember getting back to the hotel and, and every night all the parents would be in the lobby of our hotel. So we'd get off the bus, we'd go into the lobby, meet up with our parents. And then I would have like went back up to the room, shower, changed, and then we would have went and tried to get a bite to eat somewhere. And then I would have just went back to the hotel room and just been ready to go again the next day. Did some of your family, including your mom, have to miss game three? Yeah, my, uh, my mom and my brother were both there for a lot of the College World Series. But because it got pushed back, they really couldn't afford to change their flights. They had things to do back at home that they, they couldn't uh, you know, they couldn't stay for. And I know that it just bummed them out so much to have to leave. Well, but they, I'm sure they got to celebrate with you once you got back and, and still savor that moment. But that is such an odd situation to be in. Yeah, no, even my dad got really lucky. He, uh, he I, I want to say he called his boss at work and was like, hey, here's the situation. His boss goes, Mark, 
you're never going to get to do this again. Like, don't come back, stay there and do whatever. And, and so it was, it was super clutch that he was able to stay. We can laugh about a lot of these things, including the premature post of ESPN accidentally saying Arkansas because you won. And so we can look back in this stuff. One of the interesting things that I'm glad we can talk about with happiness that wouldn't have been as easy had you not won the College World Series was the defense in, in Omaha. The 10 errors as a team, uh, there was one play where you ran into Jack Anderson. That one actually uh, would, were turned into an out in the North Carolina game. But when you look back at what the defense was, it was still that much more impressive that you still won. But uh, how difficult was that to go through games where you hadn't you had had cleaner defense through the regular season? Well, I mean, we uh, it was definitely a weird College World Series, you know, just all together, you know, with with rain and lightning delays of three plus hours and and the defense not being great and us having to go through the losers bracket and you know there's a ton of things just like what you're saying the defense wasn't great during the college world series which was very uncharacteristic but i don't think anybody ever really thought of that they were like hey we are still winning we're still finding a way to stay in this thing so it doesn't matter how many errors we make we're still gonna find a way to make up for those and win ball games and so you know, yeah, we didn't play our best, but that was the grittiness of our team that we were able to jump right back on the horse after you get kicked off and just ride it out until we found a way to win. So you start game three and you start off pretty hot. Bottom of the first inning, you get hit by a 94-mile-an-hour fastball from Isaiah Campbell. Did that hurt even in the slightest to, to get put on first base? Nope, not even close. Never felt it. <laughs> So you get on first and you score, which essentially turns out to be the game-winning run in the first inning. I mean, you shut them out. So a 5-0 to win and the, the go-ahead run in the first inning goes to Caden Grenier. What's your experience? And that was the first of two times you crossed the plate in that game, your experience of stepping on home and saying, we're, we're ahead right now in game three of the College World Series. Well, I mean, it was great, obviously. Anytime you can cross the plate in Omaha and, and get your team a lead or, or whatever it may be, it was, it was awesome especially in that situation, it was more gratifying because the whole night and the whole morning, even when we got to the field, we were 100% sure that we were going to win. There was no doubt in anyone's mind. I mean, when I tell you, like, it was the weirdest thing because we're just in the cages stretching and everyone's like, what's everyone tripping about? Like, we're going to win. Like, you know, the parents and stuff are like, oh, good luck. And we're always like, no, we're going to win. I don't think you understand. Like, we knew we were going to win. And so it was just like gratifying to step on the plate and go, well, here we go. You know, this is the first one of what, five or whatever it was. And, and yeah, I was able to do it twice that game. And I don't know, I didn't even really do anything. I think I walked like twice or something. I hit, you know, and, but the guys around us still found a way to get us to score. And, uh, you know, it just, we knew from, from the first pitch that we were going to win that ball game. The last thing I'll kind of ask you is, the elation at the end of the game, you did what you already knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when, but then you get to celebrate it. Do you remember any particular moments of that celebration, which guys you hug, which guys you talk with conversations the rest of that night and the parade, uh, what things stand out in your mind when you remember the dog pile, the celebration, the locker room, and that whole aftermath of national championship? Yeah, no, I mean, even though we were up by a good amount and, and going into the eighth, ninth inning, when you're basically like, hey, this game's over, like we know we're going to win, you don't really feel it until that last out is made. And I think as the ninth inning went on, 
it just the, the excitement and like the knowing of what is about to happen just kind of slowly increased by every strike. Every strike Kevin threw it was like, hey, we're that much closer. Every out, you're like, okay, we're getting there. And then as soon as he gets that last out, it's just like your whole body is just like, dude, what? Like we really just did this. Even though we had all the confidence in the world the entire day in going into that, once it hits, you're like, we really just did it. And, uh, you know, and I, I remember the first thing I do, I throw my glove up and, and Nick starts running over and Nick and I have a big embrace in the middle of the infield. Some of the outfitters came in and then we kind of followed everyone in. We're on the top of the pile, basically hugged everybody. You know, you just make, you just work your way around. They hand you a hat, they hand you a shirt, you put it on and you just find people to go hug. It doesn't matter who it is. You know, I mean, we had the Benny, the beaver out there and everyone's like hugging him. And it's like, dude, it's a mascot, but that was the kind of emotions that were going on. Everyone was just so happy and so stoked that it didn't matter who was out there. You were hugging them. You were talking to them. You were telling them how much you love them and stuff. And, uh, you know, the one, the two that I really remember is I remember hugging Kochieski because like I said, we had a great relationship and that's when he told me, he goes, Hey, looks like you're going to have to come back next year because you promised me two of these in that moment. This, that's what this guy's telling me. And, uh, and so that was a good one. And then I remember seeing coach Casey just giving the biggest bear hug. I mean, we just shared the biggest embrace, you know, after that game, you know, obviously coach Casey, that's all he wants. All he wants for us is to succeed and to be able to give him that hug and, and truly knowing that that's as happy as that dude's going to be. It, it was the best feeling, man, to, to be able to hug those two guys and, and really embrace each other and knowing that we just accomplished something really, really, really special. Yeah. It's so fun to look back at these moments and remember what you've done. This whole team has done the coaching staff. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time and best of luck with the pro ball coming up. Uh, whenever that comes back, Caden, I really, I really thank you for, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, man. Anytime. I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. I, I, I love talking about this stuff and I could do it all day long. Kaden, you are not alone in that. I, for one, could also talk all day about the College World Series, and a lot of his teammates are the same. And Kaden will not be the last guy from this team you'll hear on this podcast, as well as the full documentary I'll be producing. I'll let you know more about that as time goes along, but you'll hear all of these memories put together in one project, every player that I can get a hold of into one piece, guys like Kaden Grenier. And how fun is it to hear the passion, the memories of the celebration of the foul ball of how his legs were shaking after nearly losing the College World Series and yet coming back to victory and winning a national championship. If you've got any Beaver baseball fans in your life that maybe don't know about this podcast, text them as you look forward to the next player we'll get on this podcast and all the other sports represented as well. Until next time on the Beaver Tales podcast, I'm Josh Warden. Thanks for tuning in and go Beavs.